Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Business Movers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. To listen to Business Movers one week early and ad-free, join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Download the Wondery app in your Apple or Google Play mobile app store today. It's Friday, November 22nd, 1963, at the New York Stock Exchange, over a month before Warren Buffett buys American Express stock. The vice chairman of the exchange, Walter Frank, rubs his eyes and looks down on the trading floor from his office. Walter is worn out. Over the past few days, Wall Street has been hit hard by the great salad oil swindle. The long-respected investment firm, Haupton Company, has been suspended from trading. American Express stock has plummeted, and creditors are banging on their door due to their connection to the scandal. The Dow has dropped 1.3% over the last 24 hours. Walter tries to stay positive as he watches the action on the floor, but he fears the market is in for another bad day. But then there's a commotion. A young clerk runs out onto the trading floor, shouting something. Walter can't make out what, but he doesn't think much of it. Shouting clerks are par for the course at the stock exchange. But then Walter hears screams and wailing. Very shortly after, Ed Gray, the executive vice president of the New York Stock Exchange, rushes into Walter's office. Walter, they shot Kennedy. What? The president, he's been shot in Dallas. Is he alive? We don't know. Walter looks out over the floor, and his heart starts to pound in his chest. The news about President Kennedy has immediately resulted in a massive sell-off. Walter watches as stock prices tick down on the big boards at each end of the trading floor. He takes a deep breath and tries to collect himself. Oh, God. Ed, the market's going to collapse if we don't do something fast. We need to get the chairman and the president together if we want to do anything. Now they're both out today. Where are they? I, I don't know, and we don't have time to figure it out. Walter can hear the shouts of sell, sell coming from the trading floor. He knows there's only one option. Ed, we're going to suspend trading. Can we even do that? We suspend trading for civil defense drills and bad weather. We can shut things down when the president's been shot, sure. All right, well, what do we do? We need to call an emergency board meeting. Get every member of the board you can find right now, and I'll do the same. As long as we have a quorum, we can take a vote to suspend training. God, you think this will work? We have to try. Walter Frank and Ed Gray moved fast. By 1.55 p.m. Eastern Time, they had gathered enough members of the New York Stock Exchange Board to constitute a quorum. Board quickly voted unanimously to suspend trading on the stock market. The assassination of President Kennedy and the suspension of trading stopped the market freefall, and it pushed American Express's current woes out of the news. But Warren Buffett never took his eye off the story. Warren thought the events of the great salad oil swindle and the closure of the New York Stock Exchange created the perfect investment opportunity. Warren knew the salad oil swindle had taken American Express stocks nearly to the bottom. But Warren believed that the quick disappearance of the scandal from the public eye would leave the majority of consumers unaware of American Express's problems. Warren believed consumer trust in the company wouldn't falter entirely. He was certain that American Express would soon come roaring back. And Warren's confidence in American Express would spur him to take the biggest risk of his investment career and put him at odds with some of his investment partners and forever change the way he did business. 
When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Wondery, I'm Lindsey Graham, and this is Business Movers. Warren Buffett spent the bulk of his career following the teachings of his mentor, Ben Graham. Ben's approach to investing often led Warren to focus on companies that were on the brink of collapse. Warren bought stock in these companies at low prices and waited for the inevitable crash. When the company failed and sold off its assets, the sale would result in a healthy return on investment for Warren and other shareholders. Then Warren would move on to the next crumbling business. Warren called these types of investments cigar butts, cast away and often disgusting, but there still might be a puff left in them. Warren's cigar-butt approach to investing had been a success. In 1963, Warren's investment partnership, BPL, had over $17 million in capital. But Warren was yearning for different approaches to investing. He wanted to put money into companies that he thought had a successful future ahead. And despite its current state, in Warren's mind, American Express was one of those companies. After the salad oil swindle, American Express stock was dropping and many on Wall Street believed the company was headed for ruin. But Warren saw things differently. Everywhere he went, he saw people using American Express credit cards and traveler's checks. And when Warren watched television, American Express commercials were everywhere. American Express traveler's checks, the sign of a smart traveler. Spend them like cash in a million places, in hotels, in service stations, transportation terminals, everywhere. They're the most widely accepted checks in the world. American Express traveler's checks. Warren was convinced putting money into American Express in this moment of crisis was the smartest move he could make for himself and his partners. He wouldn't rush in blindly, though. Before making his final decision, Warren would use a strategy he had come to rely on over the years. He would talk to everyday people to learn everything he could about American Express. And once Warren had the information he needed, he would bet big and risk more of his partnership's money on a single investment than he ever had before. To make sure he saw a return on that investment, Warren would once again deviate from the lessons of Ben Graham by personally exerting his influence over the company. This is the third episode in our four-part series on Warren Buffett, Control. It's winter of 1963 at Ross's Steakhouse in Omaha, Nebraska, weeks before Warren invests in American Express. 33-year-old Warren Buffett walks into the bustling restaurant. 
He smiles as he breathes in the aroma of steak dinners being served. But he isn't here for dinner. Instead, he's here to do some good old-fashioned legwork to discover how customers view American Express. Warren walks behind the cash register as if he runs the place. He tells the cashier he'd like to speak to the owner. The cashier nods, disappears, and quickly returns with the owner at his side. The man grins when he sees Warren. Warren's a regular customer, but beyond that, Warren's business dealings have made him famous throughout Omaha. Mr. Buffett, are you eating tonight? No, sir, I'm here on business. The man laughs. Are you looking to invest in a steakhouse? Well, that sounds tempting, but that's not why I came. I want to talk about American Express. You, you want to talk about American Express with me? Well, why would you want to do that? I want to know what you think about the company. Oh, I'm not, a, I'm not an investor, Mr. Buffett. And that's exactly why I'm talking to you. If I listen to other investors, they tell me that American Express is on the brink of collapse and it'll be lucky to survive the end of the year. They'd say the salad oil scandal is just too much for the company to overcome. I'm sorry, sir, but, but what the heck is a salad oil scandal? Warren smiles. This is why he's made it a point to learn about companies from as many angles as possible. He knows Wall Street can function in a vacuum. That as a result, stock prices don't reflect what's happening with companies in the real world. In the last few weeks, have you noticed fewer customers using their American Express cards than in the past? No, not at all. The card's popular here. Getting more popular, I think. Do you like American Express? Well, what's not to like? As long as they're using it to make me money. And what about you, personally? Do you use one? Sure, when my wife and I go on vacation, we use their traveler's checks. But you have plenty of options. Why American Express? Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess because I trust them. Well, why's that? What is it about them specifically that you trust? The owner laughs uncomfortably. He's not sure why Warren is grilling him, but he likes the young man and he's willing to help if he can. Well, Mr. Buffett, call me Warren, please. Okay. Um, look out at my dining room, Warren. Most of these people come to Ross's at least twice a month, some every week. There are plenty of other options for steak in Omaha. Good options. But these people keep coming back here because they love the food. Well, that's part of it. When they come here, they know they're going to get a great steak. We don't let them down, so they trust us. But once they trust us, they stay loyal. And why would it be any different with other types of companies? This business to me. Whether you're selling steaks or giving people credit cards, the product is important. But at some point, the name matters just as much. Warren's face lights up. He feels like he's just gotten a free business lesson. <laughs> See, advice like that is exactly I wanted to talk to you about American Express. Warren stayed behind the counter late into the evening. He watched customer after customer pay for their meals, largely with American Express cards. After visiting Ross's Steakhouse, Warren went to various banks and travel agencies in Omaha to find out if they were doing the same level of business with American Express traveler's checks as they'd done in the past. They were. The scandal hadn't impacted their business at all. Warren's due diligence on the ground convinced him that despite what industry insiders said, the salad oil swindle wasn't affecting everyday American Express customers in the slightest. Warren prepared himself to snatch up the company's stock as quickly as he could. But Warren's trip to Ross's Steakhouse and other Omaha businesses would have a long-term impact on him as an investor. Ben Graham had taught Warren to base the intrinsic value of a company on tangible assets that could be measured. These assets might include the amount of product a company produced or the number of production facilities they owned. 
But with American Express, Warren discovered a different type of asset. And it wasn't something he could count. It was the American Express brand. Warren understood that the name American Express instilled trust and loyalty in its customers. That loyalty had helped the company grab 80% of the traveler's checks market and a significant share of the American credit card industry. Warren knew brand loyalty wasn't something tangible, but it was certainly an intangible metric worth considering. And in his final analysis, Warren decided that as it related to American Express, it was time to act. Warren watched American Express stock drop to a new low of $35 a share. He listened as experts on Wall Street resumed their calls for people to sell off American Express before it was too late. But Warren did the opposite. While others sold, Warren started buying. By the time June of 1964 rolled around, Warren had put almost $3 million of his partnership's money into American Express stock. It was the largest single investment the partnership had ever made. Despite that, Warren hadn't informed the members of his partnership about what he was doing. He maintained that secrecy was key to success. He believed if other investors found out about where he was putting the partnership's money, those investors could make moves to alter stock prices or otherwise hinder his plans. Warren knew he was taking the biggest risk of his career. And he knew the backlash from his partners would be insurmountable if he lost the millions without getting their input on the deal. But even as American Express stock remained stagnant, Warren didn't panic. For him, the reason he bought into the company was still clear and simple. People trusted American Express. Warren would reiterate that point for years to come. American Express had a very special position in people's mind about financial integrity over the years and, and ubiquity of acceptance. In 1964, Warren believed that American Express's ubiquity of acceptance would help them bounce back from their current decline. But as stock prices remained low, Warren started to realize that if American Express was to rise from the ashes, the company would have to take responsibility for its actions. Warren believed the company would recover faster if they owned up to their mistakes and paid off the debts their warehouse subsidiary had accrued during the great salad oil swindle. After the scandal broke, Creditors had sought roughly $60 million in payment from American Express. This was money that banks had lost by issuing loans to Tino DeAngelis, the central figure in the swindle. Those bank loans had been made based on fraudulent American Express warehouse receipts. But American Express still hadn't paid the banks a dime. Warren thought that was a mistake. He was confident that paying the debts would reignite industry trust in American Express and that the short-term cost would be well worth it in the long run. In this moment of crisis, Warren thought back to his time with the Sanborn Map Company. At Sanborn, Warren had used his large investment position to push the company in the direction he thought it needed to go. Warren's active involvement at Sanborn had been the right call. He had made his partners the equivalent of millions of dollars today. So Warren decided he would do the same thing with American Express. In early summer of 1964, Warren Buffett reached out to American Express CEO Howard Clark. Warren expressed his concerns about the $60 million American Express owed to creditors. He explained it didn't make sense for the company not to pay up. Warren was happy to learn that Clark agreed. Clark went so far as to say he believed American Express was morally bound to cover the debts of its warehousing subsidiary. But Clark faced major pushback. He told Warren that a group of American Express shareholders had filed a lawsuit against the company to stop payment to the banks. These shareholders claimed American Express had no legal obligation to pay for the mistakes of its warehousing subsidiary. 
Clark told Warren that American Express was about to enter into a legal fight with some of its own shareholders. Hearing that, Warren was frustrated. As far as he was concerned, $60 million was a drop in the bucket for a company like American Express. And he was certain that making amends for the great salad oil swindle and paying the banks was the key to getting stock prices climbing again. But Warren felt stuck. He knew he was right about American Express, and his belief was bolstered by the fact that the company's CEO agreed with him. Still, Warren wasn't sure how to proceed. With the Sanborn Map Company, Warren had threatened to take over and run the company himself if the board didn't fall in line. But even though Warren's partnership owned millions of dollars of American Express stock, he knew that amount wasn't nearly enough to threaten a takeover. So Warren tried a more diplomatic approach. Warren wrote a letter to Clark and the board, reiterating his support of Clark's choice to pay the $60 million to creditors. In the letter, Warren stated that if American Express paid the money, the company would be worth substantially more than if they failed to take responsibility. Still, Warren knew writing a letter wasn't enough. He needed to exert real pressure on the American Express shareholders who were fighting against Howard Clark. In the end, Warren would come to believe that the best way to do that was to face the shareholders in court himself. Warren reached out again and informed CEO Howard Clark and a company attorney that he wanted to take part in the upcoming lawsuit. Warren said he would gladly testify on behalf of the company and in Clark's defense. Warren even offered to pay for any travel and expenses out of his own pocket. Clark and the attorney said they were excited to have Warren on their side, but not everyone would share their enthusiasm. In the summer of 1964, Warren would find opposition to his plan in his own home. Before he could help Howard Clark and American Express win in court, Warren would first have to win over his wife. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's the summer of 1964 in Warren's house in Omaha, Nebraska. Warren bounds into the living room and finds his wife, Susie, sitting on the couch. It's getting late, but Warren is full of energy. His decision to testify in court on American Express's behalf has him feeling like he's on the brink of something monumental. Warren wants to share that excitement with his wife and tell her about the plan. So Warren strides across the room and takes a seat on the couch next to Susie. Susie, I've got something I want to run by you could be huge for the business. Susie is a bit taken aback. Warren usually spends his evenings reading through a stack of newspapers and then goes off to bed. 
He rarely changes his routine to run business ideas by her. Well, it must be important if you want to talk to me about it right now. It is. I think it's one of the biggest decisions I've ever made. Okay, well, I'm all ears. I want to testify in court on behalf of American Express against a group of their shareholders. I want to make it clear that the only decision for the company to make is to pay the $60 million they owe to their creditors. Warren is hoping for an immediate positive response from his wife. But the look on Susie's face tells him she has other ideas. Why on earth would you want to do something like that, Warren? Because it's the right thing to do. Says who? Me. And American Express's CEO agrees. He says the company has a moral obligation, that's what he said, to pay off the debt. Susie looks even more dumbfounded. Like she can't believe the man in front of her is actually her husband. Moral obligation? Warren, you're not a pastor. You're not in Congress like your father was. Since when do you talk about moral obligations? You're a businessman and a cutthroat one when you need to be. This is a smart business move. Telling a company to throw away $60 million is smart. Turning other shareholders against you is smart. What about the bad press? You could bring down on your own partnership just by showing up in court and getting involved in this mess. I don't, I don't think that's smart. Warren collects his thoughts. This conversation isn't going the way he envisioned, but he thinks he can salvage it if he lays out his argument more clearly. Well, you want to talk about press, Susie? Let's talk about the press. Imagine how much better American Express will look to the public and to Wall Street if they own up to their mistakes and take action. The company is built on brand trust. and This is an easy way for them to gain some of that trust back from investors and creditors. You think so? I do. And I know $60 million sounds like a lot, and it is. But it's nothing to a company like American Express. In the long run, a move like this will more than pay for itself. Trust me, Susie, giving the money to the creditors is the best way to protect the company's future and its investors. Susie smiles at her husband. She knows when Warren wants to do something, there's no getting in his way. But she's glad she got him to talk in terms of business and not morality. All right, Warren, you've convinced me. Go testify. What? Did I just really win the argument? You sure did. But when you go to court, say what you said about protecting the company and its investors. Leave the moral high ground to the preachers and the politicians. Warren stuck to his plan to testify on behalf of American Express, but he took his wife's advice and shied away from making any moral argument. Instead, in his statement, he went directly after the shareholders who were suing the company. He said instead of suing, they should be congratulating American Express CEO Howard Clark for taking steps to put the salad oil scandal behind them. And he emphasized that paying off the $60 million would stop people from talking like the ship was sinking. Warren's testimony had its desired effect. The tide soon turned in favor of Howard Clark. The shareholders acquiesced, and American Express paid its creditors. And with the scandal shrinking in the rearview mirror, American Express stock rose from $35 a share to over $49. Warren had taken the biggest risk of his career with American Express, and it had paid off. Within a year, Warren's investment would make his partnership millions of dollars. But Warren knew there was more money to be had, and he would use his new, evolving approach to investing to get it. With American Express, Warren had gone against the predictions of Wall Street insiders who called for shareholders to sell as fast as they could. Warren had also gone against the teachings of his mentor, Ben Graham, by putting money into a company whose worth rested more on brand loyalty than on tangible assets. Warren had even gone against his own past beliefs by putting a large percentage of his investment partnership's capital into a single stock. But that move had paid off. 
Warren wrote to the members of his partnership to tell them about his changing investment tactics. In the letter, Warren hinted that he was moving away from a strictly quantitative strategy towards investing with a more qualitative approach. In essence, Warren said his choice in stocks would no longer be solely dictated by numbers and hard data. While data would still play a significant role in Warren's decisions, he implied there was a subjective element to investing that he had to take into account. Warren said that he had to consider aspects of a company that couldn't be reduced to numbers, like consumer trust in a global brand. And along with Warren's shift to a more qualitative investment approach, American Express inspired him to make another big change. Warren made it clear to the partnership that their portfolio would still have its fair share of cigar-butt investments. But Warren said he was now willing to put up to 40% of the partnership's capital into a single company if he believed in it. Throughout 1964, Warren continued to buy American Express stock. By the end of the year, BPL would own over $4 million worth, and Warren had no intention of stopping. In total, Warren would put $20 million into American Express, netting him roughly 5% of the company. At the time in 1964, Warren's confidence in American Express stemmed from his belief in the company's future. But something else had started to affect his decisions. Warren relished control. He liked having the ability to directly impact the companies he invested in. Warren had got a taste of that control when he threatened the board of the Sanborn Map Company. Now, Warren had pushed American Express shareholders to do what he thought was right. And Warren understood that the stronger his investment position was in a company, the more control he would have. Warren's recent triumph at American Express and his desire for more control would soon lead him to chase bigger investments. But even as Warren's views on investing evolved, he wouldn't stop doing the type of due diligence that he'd made an integral part of his process. Warren spent much of 1964 crisscrossing the country looking for what he called the right company. While Warren still believed in quantitative data, his new qualitative approach to investing meant he had to dig beyond the numbers. With a consumer brand like American Express, that had meant going to his local steakhouse, but Warren knew not every company's worth could be tracked that easily. Warren called on friends that he trusted to see if there were companies they thought he should look into. If Warren was intrigued by one, he would jet off to meetings to learn as much as possible. Through Warren's travels and his almost religious study of the stock market, he found himself drawn into the oil industry. With oil, Warren could look at tangible assets, but there was also a healthy amount of intuition required. Warren put over $4.5 million into Texas Gulf Producing and another $3.5 million into a company called Pure Oil. Within a year, due in part to Warren's oil investments, BPL would reach $37 million in assets. And those investments would open the door to big oil for Warren, an industry that would one day net his company billions of dollars a year. Throughout his travels in 1964, Warren was making big bets. And those bets were making big money for his partnership. But most of his investment partners still didn't know where the money was coming from until long after Warren made his investments. By the end of the year, many in his partnership were beginning to realize that Warren's desire for control wasn't limited to the companies he invested in. When it came to his own partnership, Warren was the man in charge, and he did not share power. He communicated with his partners through letters and an annual report but he maintained the highest level of secrecy in regards to where he was putting the partnership's money. Early on, Warren had kept his American Express plans almost entirely to himself. And when that investment paid off, Warren believed his secrecy was more than justified. 
after American Express, he had no intention of changing his ways. As far as Warren was concerned, his partners knew all they needed to know, but some would disagree. As Warren shifted his approach to investing, many of his partners began to call for greater transparency. But Warren argued that revealing information about his investment plans, even to the people whose money he was investing, was bad business. Many of Warren's partners were content to let their leader exert the level of control he always had. But others grew vocal. They demanded that Warren let them see behind the curtain. As 1964 came to an end, Warren would be confronted by angry partners who said they'd had enough of his secrecy. As Warren prepared to take what he'd learned from his American Express deal and apply it to new investment opportunities, he would have to decide if he was willing to relinquish control or double down. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug, ignored a leaky faucet, pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few taps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. It's late 1964 in Warren Buffett's office in Omaha, Nebraska. Warren's mind races as he scans stock market details in the newspaper. Warren is hunting for the next right company to invest in. And his recent track record with American Express and the oil industry has him feeling confident that he'll find what he's looking for. But Warren's day is about to take a turn for the worse. Soon he hears shouting from the reception area. Warren stands up. But before he can take a step, his office door opens and a member of Warren's investment partnership storms inside. Warren's secretary tries to usher the man out, but it's no use. Warren nods to the secretary and lets her know everything is okay. She heads back to the reception area and closes the door behind her. Well, that was a hell of an entrance. Where's my money going, Warren? That's what you stormed in here to talk about? Where are you putting my money? Warren sits back down behind his desk. His face doesn't give anything away, and his voice remains calm. I think I've made it clear over the years that secrecy is a key to our success. Well, that was fine when we knew how you did business, but you've completely changed your approach. Yes, how so? Oh, don't act like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Cigar butts, Warren. That's what you used to say. The partnership makes small investments in cheap stocks that pay off, and then we move on to the next one. Well, we still have quite a few cigar butts in the portfolio. No, no, you said you'd be willing to drop 40% of our capital into a single company. That's not a small investment in a sure thing. Warren leans forward in his chair. He's now finding it harder to stay calm. Did you make money this year? That's not the point. Did you make money this year? Yes. More money than you've ever made, if I was to guess. And I'm the one who made it for you. The partnership trusts me, and I've never broken that trust. I keep my decision secret because that's the smart thing to do. And I'll change my approach to investing if and when that's the smart thing to do. Every decision I make is the smartest one I can come up with. Oh, don't act high and mighty, Warren. And don't pretend your decisions are all about business. You take our money and you do whatever you want with it. You control everything, and that's just how you like it. Warren stands again. He's ready to end this meeting. I have big plans for the future. Plans that will make us even more money than we did this year. I'm sorry you won't be a part of it. 
And what does that mean? The minute you walk out that door, I'm telling my secretary to price you out of the partnership. You're done. You can't do that. Yes, I can. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have work to do. And good luck. Warren followed through with his threat, and the angry gentleman was ousted from the partnership. Warren's message was clear. Do it my way or get out. Most of the partners were happy to let Warren continue with business as usual, and the calls for transparency soon fell by the wayside. But while Warren maintained complete control of BPL's investments, he wanted to make sure he continued to earn his partner's trust. Warren honestly believed he was making the right decisions for everyone. Still, he would commit himself to explaining his choices more clearly in his letters to the partners down the line. But Warren knew money spoke louder than words. If he wanted people's trust, he just had to keep making them rich. For Warren, that still meant tracking down the next right company. And there was one company in particular that Warren had his eye on. Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway was a New England textile manufacturing company that had links to textile producers dating back all the way to the 1830s. Berkshire Hathaway was a result of a merger between companies that had survived the Great Depression and two world wars. But in the 1960s, as the textile industry continued to lose money, Berkshire Hathaway's survival seemed almost impossible. The company was closing down mills all over New England, and the business showed no signs of turning around. But Warren had been buying stock in Berkshire Hathaway for years. At first, he had seen the textile company as a classic cigar-butt investment. Warren had planned to buy cheap, wait for the company to liquidate, and make money off the sale of assets. But as the years went by, Berkshire Hathaway continued to hang on. So in late 1964, Warren got to work on a new plan. He would buy up enough stock to take control of Berkshire Hathaway, sell it off piecemeal, make his money, and then shut the company down. It was a plan that allowed Warren the level of control he'd sought ever since buying into American Express. But it was also the type of deal that could pay off quickly. Warren saw Berkshire Hathaway as the perfect blend of his past and present investment strategies. So Warren put his plan into motion and started buying more Berkshire Hathaway stock. But he had to be smart about it. Warren knew if he bought too many shares too fast, he could cause the company's stock price to rise. That would defeat his purpose, which was to buy Berkshire Hathaway for as little as possible. And in early 1965, Warren's plan seemed to be working perfectly. He was snatching up Berkshire Hathaway stock at a steady rate, but share prices were holding. Warren assumed his plan would go off a hitch and that he'd be selling off Berkshire Hathaway's assets and shutting the company down in no time. But Warren had a problem he couldn't quite see yet. His name was Seabury Stanton, the president of Berkshire Hathaway. When Stanton learned that someone was buying up large quantities of the company's stock, he rightly believed that an investor was planning a takeover. But Stanton had been handed Berkshire Hathaway by his father, and he planned to pass the company down to his son. He would do everything in his power to keep Berkshire Hathaway under his family's control. And soon Stanton would find himself on a collision course with Warren Buffett. In his battle for control with Seabury Stanton, Warren would break one of the first rules Ben Graham ever taught him. He would let his emotions get in the way of an investment decision. But Warren's clash with Stanton would alter the plans for Berkshire Hathaway and help Warren become one of the wealthiest people in the world. From Wondery, this is Episode 3 of Becoming Warren Buffett from Business Movers. On the next episode, Warren's war for Berkshire Hathaway sends him down a new path that will turn the struggling textile manufacturer 
into a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Business Movers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. If you'd like to learn more about Warren Buffett, we recommend The Snowball by Alice Schroeder, Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist by Roger Lowenstein, Dear Chairman by Jeff Graham, and The Great Salad Oil Swindle by Norman C. Miller. A quick note about our dramatizations. In most cases, we can't know everything that happened, but all our reenactments are based on historical research. Business Movers is hosted, edited, and executive produced by me, Lindsey Graham, for Airship. Audio editing by Molly Bach. Sound design by Derek Barrett. Music by Lindsey Graham. This episode is written and researched by Michael Federico. Executive producers are Stephen Walters for Airship and Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie for Wondering. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us in Pura. Promised to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pure. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery+. Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.